joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor there. He is. Right? He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writers. And, uh, and I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers... Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself and <laughs> asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Hey, good Sunday morning. Welcome into the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM. I'm your host, Dick Schultz, here with you for the next 57 minutes. Looking forward to another great day of sports talk. It's another Bear Sunday kickoff got moved. This is the first Sunday of the year. I'm not taking you up to kickoff here on WLUW. Kickoff is at 325 today, but still, plenty of Bears talk today. Because some pretty big coaching decisions were made last week. But... Somehow, that's moved to the bottom of my list here of things to talk about because baseball season is over, and it didn't exactly go out on a high note. And I think that's putting it very nicely, in a way, uh, at least for the Cubs. The White Sox uh, lost to the A's in the wild card round, and their arrow was pointing up. And I've got more thoughts on Ricky Renteria, obviously. I feel like it's been the last five weeks I've had something to say about Ricky Renteria, but now... I think it's getting to be a clearer picture of his future. And something else will need to change as well, but it's nothing bad. The White Sox are in a good position. Meanwhile, on the other side of town, the Cubs. Yikes. Yikes, yikes, yikes. The offense is still broken. Even with a manager change, even with like five different hitting coaches, the, off- the offense is still broken, and that's bringing us to a huge offseason. Could this be the end of the core as we know it? The core from 2016, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Kyle Schwarber, Wilson Contreras. This could be the end. And it could also be the end of Theo Epstein's tenure. A report yesterday from NBC Sports Chicago's David Kaplan is shedding some light on what could happen to Theo Epstein now that the season's over and his contract expires next year. At least it's supposed to, anyway. And obviously with the Bears, Mitchell Trubisky got benched last Sunday. Didn't think I'd be saying those words, but Mitchell Trubisky got benched. Nick Foles is starting. He is starting today against Indianapolis. And Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network's reporting that it's believed that Foles is going to start the rest of the year if he can. But kickoff again, 325 today, not noon. It got moved because the Patriots game got postponed because Cam Newton tested positive for COVID-19. And the Steelers-Titans game got postponed as well due to a COVID-19 outbreak with the Titans. And some interesting news about Tyler Bray yesterday that just kind of came out of nowhere. And I'll talk about that. But I got to lead with the Cubs. And I don't have a guest this week. I, I thought about booking somebody because there's so much to talk about. Again, it's another busy week. But I am just so angry with the Cubs that 
I, I just need to go solo. Because, okay. I know the Cubs won 108 years without winning a World Series. That's a given. You can turn around and you hear it all the time. They won 108 years without a World Series. They went from 1945 until 1984 without making the playoffs. So the fact that the Cubs made five playoffs in six years is pretty damn good. And I guarantee you, you talk to Cubs fans before 2015, and you tell them, hey, you're going to make the playoffs five times in six years, they'll take it. So it's weird that I'm sitting here angry about the Cubs after their latest playoff appearance. And it, it isn't just isolated to this one playoff appearance. That's the biggest thing. It's the culmination of a myriad of issues. I know I'm throwing out some big words for a Sunday morning, but there are a lot of issues at play here. And I remember when Joe Madden left, I get people say he was technically fired. No, his contract was up. They didn't bring him back. I don't consider that a firing. When Joe Madden left, everyone was wondering if this would fix the offense, bringing David Ross in as manager. And it looked like it at first. The Cubs got off to a 13-3 start. It was, pretty, it was pretty cool to see. The offense was firing on all cylinders. And then I don't know what happened. Because after that 13-3 start, they really, really struggled. And I think struggling is, once again, putting it nicely. I'm, not, I'm kind of sugarcoating. But you'll, you'll kind of see where I'm going and why I'm sugarcoating. The offense broke again, and you kept hearing about accountability from David Ross, and there was more structure, et cetera, et cetera, structure that wasn't there with Joe, and get to the playoffs, they, the Cubs kind of limped into the playoffs. Yeah, they had some good games against the White Sox, but the White Sox were struggling at that point, too, for more reasons I'll get into in a minute, but they limped into the playoffs for all intents and purposes, and they got to the playoffs against the Miami Marlins. It's the best of three series in the wild card round. And this is the same Miami Marlins team that a few weeks ago, I was sitting in the spot on these airwaves talking about how the Marlins might kill the MLB season because they had a COVID-19 outbreak. This Marlins team made the playoffs. And I know there was talk about, oh, well, the, the, someone called them the bottom feeders. I think it was a Phillies writer or someone with the Phillies called them bottom feeders and they use that as a rallying cry well the bottom feeders made the playoffs to the wild card round they played the Cubs and the Cubs scored one stinking run in two games one run and that includes two strikeouts looking from the tying runs in the last game back to back strikeouts looking from Javi Baez and David Bodie they were the tying runs, and they could have made an impact on the game, shifted some momentum, kept the Cubs alive. They didn't do that. Instead, they lost in the most fitting way possible in a shutout. And this Cubs team, which won the World Series in 2016 and ended that drought, and I can't express how excited the city of Chicago was, and that was my freshman year at Loyola. And I really thought that'd be 
the high point of my time at Loyola was when the Cubs won the World Series my freshman year. And after that, you get hearing about sustained success. That 2016 team was an absolute force. The offense was on fire. They played great defense. The pitching was phenomenal. That was a really, really, really good team. And all the signs were there that there'd be sustained success from that very successful team. Instead, what we got was a postseason win in 2017. It's a game, a postseason game win in 2017. And since then, the Cubs have not won another playoff game. And this includes time with Joe as manager and time with David Ross as manager. Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, and Javi Baez. The core of the core, as I'll call them. Went 19 for 141 with 51 strikeouts since that World Series victory in 2016. I take you back to the statement, five playoffs in six years. Trust me, that's a great achievement. But unless your name is Jim Boylan, you're not playing to get in the playoffs. You're playing to win the World Series. And as I tweeted after that game, if this is the end of the line for the core that finally won a World Series, that game against the Marlins, that last inning in particular, perfectly summed up the years following that night in Cleveland. Some tough conversations need to happen this offseason. And I still I, I stand by that. The offense is broken. Theo Epstein said it himself two offseasons ago now. He said, the offense is broken. So what they do, they fire Chili Davis. Actually, they fired John Maley first, and then brought in Chili Davis, and then they fired Chili Davis, and then brought in Anthony Iaposi. You know, I'm starting to think the hitting coach wasn't the problem. I really don't know what the problem is. I hear people blame the players because they're the ones in the batter's box. I hear people blame the manager because the box stops there. The manager's going to get the blame. But with a managerial change, I'm not sure the manager was the problem. I hear people blaming the front office, Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer. But they're on the baseball ops side. They don't do anything in-game. At least I don't think they do. I had conspiracy theories about what was going to happen with David Ross's manager, but I'm guessing that didn't happen given how things turned out. I really don't know if you can pin it down what the problem was exactly. Now, the offseason is here way sooner than anyone thought, on both sides of town. I thought for sure I'd be sitting here talking about an NLDS and an ALDS appearance. Instead, I'm sitting here angry about the team I've grown up loving and watching going out in terrible fashion, in honestly appropriate fashion, given how the offense has been. So now, we have to take a look and see what's going on and ask ourselves what's next. And when I ask what's next, it means I'm ready to move on to other things. So, what's next? Thank you, President Bartlett from the West Wing. Yes, what's next? That's what that show's all about. What's next? I don't really know what's next. And I don't know if anyone knows what's up next. This could be 
the biggest offseason of change since Theo Epstein took over. Why do I say that? Well, I turn to this piece from Brett Taylor over Bleacher Nation, who does a great job writing about the Cubs. Yeah, Brett, uh, Luis Medina, Michael Cerami, they're great. They do awesome Cubs coverage. Here's who's under contract for 2021. Hugh Darvish, Jason Hayward, Craig Kimbrell, Kyle Hendricks, and David Bodie. That's it. Of the key pieces, those are the big ones under contract for 2021. Here are the team options for 2021. John Lester, $25 million option with a $10 million buyout. Anthony Rizzo, $16.5 million option with a $2 million buyout. And Daniel Descalso, $3.5 million, $1 million buyout. Daniel Descalso just hasn't been present. That's huge swing and a miss by Theo Epstein. You could even call it a strikeout looking at that point. He was bad. He didn't play at all this year. He's always hurt. When he does play, he's terrible. Let's just forget Daniel Descalso's on this list. For now, let's focus on John Lester and Anthony Rizzo. Those are some high numbers for options, considering Tom Ricketts went in front of the media and said, we don't have any money. (laughs) You don't say you don't have money because you have money. But that's neither here nor there. I'm going to get on another rant. Let's stay on the topic at hand. Arbitration eligible team control in 2021, who the team may non-tender. Now, what that means is the Cubs could non-tender these players, which makes them free agents. And it goes back to the money issue. Chris Bryant's in his final year of arbitration, and it was $18.6 million in 2020. He's going to want a lot of money. Javier Baez, third year of arbitration, it's his final year, $10 million in 2020. Kyle Schwarber, final year of arbitration, was $7 million in 2020. Wilson Contreras, second year of three years of arbitration, was $4.5 million in 2020. I'm going to stop there for a minute because there are, more, there are plenty more names on this list. The names I just mentioned to you on the possible non-tender list have all been key pieces of the core. Now, granted, Wilson Contreras has one more year of arbitration left. So I'm not convinced they won't non-tender him. I wouldn't be surprised if Chris Bryant played his last game in a Cubs uniform, as bad as this year was. I'm not sure if Javi Baez is going to get an extension. And I'm not sure what's going to happen with Kyle Schwarber because I'm pretty convinced they're going to just trade him. And I've never been on the bandwagon of blow it up. I have never once said to blow up this core. Even when people would be calling for this core to be blown up and people calling to trade Chris Bryant, I was never advocating for that because I thought this core could do something. Now here we are and it's time to pay them. And I'm not sure they're going to get paid. Because again, Mr. Ricketts is out here saying they don't have any money. And obviously, with the pandemic, money is going to be a little bit tighter than expected. So he might even have less money. This is going to be a very interesting offseason. Because I think you're going to see at least parts of the core go. Now, let's go back up to that big number for Anthony Rizzo. $16.5 million option for next year with a $2 million buyout. 
I hope Anthony Rizzo sticks around somehow. Whether it be buy him out, give him a new contract, whatever. I hope he sticks around because he's the heart and soul of this team. That said, I think you've seen the last of John Lester maybe in baseball. And it sucks because you, Darvish, threw a great game against the Marlins in Game 2. And I think he's still in conversation for a Cy Young Award this year. And you said after the game that his goal was to get John Lester one more start at Wrigley Field in a Cubs uniform. And the offense didn't deliver. And when I read that, that just ripped my heart out and stomped on it. Because John Lester, when he signed with the Cubs, it signaled, these guys are here to win now. And he came in at the same time Joe Madden came in. It signaled the Cubs were going to win now. And John Lester's had a hell of a career in a Cubs uniform. And I think he cemented himself as one of the best free agent signings in Chicago sports history. I'm not saying the best because I still say Marion Hosa with the Blackhawks. But John Lester has been phenomenal as a Cub. And if this is the end of his Cubs career, and I, I think it is, just given that number, I think he's done. And he's even talked about it himself. He's talked about how this could be the end. It's probably the end. Last season was the offseason of reckoning, as I called it. It was the time for the Cubs to dust it off, stand up, and go strong into 2020. Well, they went strong into 2020. They didn't come out of it strong. So now, this is the offseason of potential change. And some more change that could be happening. Now, yesterday I went out to play a round of golf with my brother and sister. Because that's what I like to do. I had the day off from the country club. And I went out to play with my brother and sister. And we're just getting up to the 18th green. Or the 18th tee. And I got an alert on my phone talking about Theo Epstein's future with the Cubs. And it's about how he's talking about leaving. And I'm thinking he I'm thinking it means leaving immediately, leaving this offseason. Well, it's not entirely accurate given the report. So this is coming from NBC Sports Chicago, my guys over there, and David Kaplan's got the scoop. And which by the way, shout out to Cap. He walked twenty nine miles this week for Bernie's book bank charity in his Unity Walk. I just want to give a shout out to him. That's amazing. And that was really, really cool. Say what you want about Cap. I know people Either love him or hate him. That's really damn cool what he did. And I, I got to make a donation myself through obvious shirts. Just wanted to give, I just wanted to appreciate that. Anyway, let's get to his report here. I'm going to read just some excerpts here. You can read the whole thing at NBCSportsChicago.com. But Cap writes, Sources have confirmed to me that Theo Epstein and Cubs chairman Tom Ricketts will meet next week to discuss the long-term plan for the Baseball Operations Department. And as I said on the Cap and Jay Hood Morning Show on ESPN 1000 in Chicago this week, I don't see Epstein returning to run the Cubs baseball operations team when his contract expires next year. So it's just confirmed to me that while the status quo is most likely, one of the possible scenarios that will be discussed is Epstein exiting now rather than waiting to complete the final year of his contract, which runs through the end of the 2021 baseball season, if that better positions the Cubs for the future. But the larger news is that it is virtually certain that Epstein will not seek to sign another deal to remain at the top of the Cubs baseball operations department. He was clear when he arrived in the fall of 2011 that after 10 years, 
Both the executive and the organization need change. So this is a lot to unpack. Because yes, Theo said 10 years. And even when he signed his five-year extension five years ago now, I guess it'd be four years ago now, it, it came up again that 10 years, it's going to be a 10-year thing. Well, as crazy as it is, we're coming up to year 10. But the fact that he's talking about leaving early signals a couple things. Number one, he's ready to move on. Which, again, he said he would be after a decade. He's ready to move on a year early. That's understandable. But if, and this is a big if, Theo decides to leave. And I know Cap writes this later. It's probably likely that Jed Hoyer moves up to his spot. And the offseason change will officially be underway. Because you will be losing... You're, you, I guess you would be. i got to keep saying you would be because this is, this is not for, cer- for certain at all. But you would be losing the architect of the 2016 World Championship team. And his, I, I, always say, I always called Jed Theo's understudy. You would have his understudy, quote-unquote, moving up to his spot. And it'd be a very interesting move. Because, I mean, Theo's got the rep. He's the rep of the curse breaker. He did it in Boston. He did it in Chicago. But the fact that he would be talking about leaving says a lot about this offseason. And that's why it caught me off guard when I saw it. Because I, I didn't think about Theo leaving a year early. And Cap goes on to write, While the Ricketts family has not yet told general current general manager Jed Hoyer that he would be the successor... Many organizations, including Epstein, feel that he's ready to assume that responsibility. He's incredibly well-liked and respected throughout the Cubs organization, as well as throughout the rest of Major League Baseball. If he is indeed the successor to Epstein, the transition would be very smooth. Ricketts feels comfortable that the Cubs do have a plan to upgrade the roster and plan for the long-term future of the franchise. And here's what uh, Mr. Ricketts said to Cap. Uh, I don't feel that there's any time pressure or deadline for us to make this decision. I'm very comfortable with Theo staying because he always puts the best interests of the Chicago Cubs ahead of his own. Uh, Ricketts also said that no decision has been reached on Epstein's future and that those discussions would begin next week. I can tell you that we were focused on a very challenging 2020 baseball season and we have not made any decisions about his future. I love Theo and we plan on working together on a transition for the Cubs whenever that time may be. Now, one other note out of this that I didn't realize. Theo's going to meet the media tomorrow, on Monday. That's interesting because he's probably going to get asked about this, and I'm very curious to see how he answers. And I know there have been warranted criticisms of how Theo Epstein built the roster. Obviously, the the development of pitching has been a big topic of conversation, including on the show when Daryl Horowitz was hosting with me. That's been a criticism. Obviously, the offense is now a criticism. and I guess, I guess it has been a criticism, but it wasn't the manager's fault, apparently. It wasn't the hitting coach's fault, apparently, even though they've gone through three hitting coaches in five years. These next few months are going to be very, very crucial to what happens next for the Cubs. And whether 
Theo leaves, whether he stays, whether Jed takes over, who knows. But this offseason, I don't know how long it'll be. I don't know if MLB has even thought about next year yet with COVID-19 going on. And obviously this was a weird season to begin with. I don't know if anyone knows what's going to happen. We'll probably get a clearer picture tomorrow when Theo meets the media. But as we sit here right now on October 4th at 11.25 a.m., I have no idea what's going to happen to this team. I, I'm i going to guess they're not going to enter a rebuild. Because, I mean, rebuilding is painful. But, who knows? And I'm guessing David Ross is going to stick around as manager. So that's a certainty. It's going to be a matter of who are they tendering, who are they non-tendering. I don't. We won't know what's going to happen until we know for sure who's going to be leading the baseball operations department. Because that report from Cat has the potential to change a lot of things. Or at least the outlook on a lot of things, I should say. Because with a change in power at the top of the baseball operations department, it could lead to a change in philosophy. I'm going to guess Theo and Jed think pretty similarly to the point where I don't think it'd be too different. But it's still a lot of unknowns right now. And I know I talked about the White Sox arrow pointing up, and I'm going to talk about the White Sox here in a couple minutes. I don't know where the arrow for the Cubs is pointing. To go out in the playoffs like they did, it'd be one thing if they lost in Game 3. It was a close game. The offense It was an offensive battle. The pitchers were looking good. That would be one thing. But to end with scoring one run in two games against a Marlins team they should have beaten, and there's no doubt in my mind, they should have beaten that Miami Marlins team. The Miami abbreviation on the score bugs on TV is MIA. Well, the Cubs offense was MIA. Missing in action. And I don't know who it falls on. And if Theo leaves, I think that's going to be partially his taking responsibility for what happened. But we'll see. I, can, I reiterate again, it wasn't the manager because he had a managerial change. It wasn't the hitting coach because he had another hitting coach. He had another hitting coach change before last year. I don't know if it's the players. I don't know what it is. But we'll see. It is absolutely the most interesting offseason since... Jim Hendry was fired, and Theo Epstein was brought in. Looking forward to talking about it, though. I mean, it makes it it makes it very interesting to talk about for sure. Instead of just sitting here in the offseason going, "Okay, they're going to stay status quo," kind of like last year when everybody was all bent out of shape because the Cubs weren't spending any money. They didn't really, they didn't get many free agents. I think they only had a couple. One of which was Steven Souza Jr., who they ended up designating for assignment in the middle of a doubleheader. Now the question comes, okay, who are you keeping? Who are you tendering? Who aren't you tendering? Who's getting traded? 
who's staying. Obviously, the guys under contract for, tw- for next year, Darvish, Hayward, Kimbrell, Hendricks, Bodie. Those guys are staying. And whether you, like, whether you want Kimbrell to stay or not, he, he's here. And he, I feel like he turned a corner end of this year, and I think, he could, I think he could take a leap next year. But other than those five guys, I don't know who will be here. I'm going to guess Ian Happ will stick around. I'm not sure if Wilson Contreras will stick around. We'll see. I want to remind you, you're listening to WLUW 88.7 FM, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, well, currently broadcasting from the Schultz Sports Cave in Dwight, Illinois. This is usually where I throw out the phone number for you to chime in on the conversation, but since WLUW is working remote this semester, tweet at me, at NickSchultz underscore 7, and I'll read any tweets on the air, assuming they're uh, appropriate, which means watch your language. <laughs> but... That's all I have on the Cubs. It wasn't a good ending to the year. It's going to be a huge offseason. And so many question marks. And without clear answers. Like, last year we at least had clear answers. If the Cubs were going to spend money in free agency, which we didn't think they would, because Mr. Ricketts was crying poor. Now we'll see if that marquee money comes in handy. All right, let's move on to the White Sox. Because the White Sox have more question marks. And actually, I, I, let, me, let me take that back. They have a lot of question marks as well, more in, in different ways. And it starts with the guy in charge. And I'm not talking about Rick Hahn. I'm talking about, you guessed it, Ricky Renteria, and I swear, this is like the fourth or fifth week I've just gone off on Ricky Renteria, and I promise, I, I really don't like just going off on a, on a coach or manager. Obviously, I did with Jim Boylan, but that was that's apples and oranges. Like, Jim Boylan came in for Fred Hoiberg and should have been an interim, and instead they gave him the full time and just totally underperformed. With Ricky Renteria... I know he's a good baseball mind, and I respect the guy. But at some point, you have to ask yourself, is this the guy who can take us to the promised land? And if you've listened the last few weeks, you know my answer is no. Because the Cubs, or the Cubs, I'm still, I'm still just angry about the Cubs. The White Sox had... What what was it like a three and a half game lead in the division going into the last week of the year, and blew it because yeah the offense kind of hit a lull, but also Ricky didn't manage the bullpen very well, so they lost the division but still made the playoffs, second team in baseball to make the to make the playoffs and didn't win the division, but we'll get off that for a second. White Sox play the A's in the wild card round. Went to three games. And I know White Sox Twitter was fun. Everybody's on the edge of their seats. Because it's playoff baseball for the South Side. They haven't had it in 12 years. And game three comes around. And I'm driving to work that day. And I'm hearing, okay, who's going to start? You kept wondering, was it going to be Dane Dunning? 
Was it going to be Garrett Crochet? Was it going to be someone else? How are they going to do this? Well, Dane Dunning started. And Dane Dunning, obviously, talented rookie. He's got great stuff. And I really think he's going to be one of the better pitchers in baseball down the road in his career. He started and was pulled after 15 pitches in the first inning. He got two outs. Didn't get out of the first inning. And then Garrett Crochet comes in. And Crochet wasn't hitting his usual 100 miles an hour. And that's when people start to worry. He's usually consistent hundreds. He's down to 98-99, which I know like non-baseball fans are like, oh, that's not a big difference. No, that's a pretty big difference in this case because usually Garrett Crochet is hitting triple digits, whether it's 100, 103, 101. He's hitting triple digits. But when he was below triple digits, people started to worry. They got even more worried when the trainer came out. And that worry grew even more when he left with the trainer. And it was later revealed to be forearm tightness. Which, that doesn't bode well. And I know people are having flashbacks to Michael Kopech. Guy who threw hard, left with arm pain. Underwent Tommy John surgery. Obviously, Kopech opted out of this year. And before I go on, I, gotta, I do want to talk about the bullpen usage. To the people that were ripping on Michael Kopech for opting out the year and saying he cost the White Sox a season, you need to stop yourselves and think about what you're saying. Do you really think he opted out of this year just to make sure the White Sox didn't win a World Series? Do you really think he did that for that reason? No. There's a virus going on out here. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's a pretty big deal. You can ask the President of the United States. It's a pretty big deal. He opted out. And obviously there were personal issues involved as well. But don't you dare blame him for this. Because this was not Michael Kopech's fault. The White Sox were having a good year without Michael Kopech. Yes, he'll be a bigger piece next year. He's not going to guide him to the World Series by himself. Crochet comes out with an injury. And then, here's where the questions come up. Why the hell are you putting Aaron Bummer in the third inning? Like, I just don't know why. And as the game went on, the White Sox went through, and I, I tweeted the clip of LeBron James when the Miami Heat introduced the big three for the first time, going not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven. How many pitchers Ricky went through? Nine pitchers. He went through nine pitchers in that game. An elimination game. Now, everybody's wondering, oh, Ricky, why are you using so many pitchers? Like, you don't know how to use a bullpen. Well, you look at the numbers. If you're Ricky Renneria, and I'm as critical of him as anybody, you can't plan your relievers to throw 127 pitches in five innings and end up walking nine guys. You can't plan for that. You've got to trust your guys. And he did. He was trusting his guys to get the job done. Yet, you can't plan for a crochet injury either. 
Sure, you could say he should have let Dunning go a little longer and figure it out. When you're in playoff baseball mode and you want to trust your bullpen, yeah, you're going to want a short leash on your guy. Was a bullpen game necessarily the best idea in an elimination game? Probably not. But that's what he went with. He trusted his bullpen. So was he entirely at fault for that loss? No. Because the crochet injury definitely derailed things. Is he off the hook? Absolutely not. There were still some questionable decisions, starting with bringing Aaron Bummer in that early, and then bringing Carlos Rodon in relief again, which, I don't. why do you keep doing this? It literally cost you a game in Cleveland, and you, you could argue it cost them the division. Bringing in Carlos Rodon in relief. The guy's not a reliever. He's a starter. And I know what you say, a pitcher's a pitcher. He's coming off injury. He hadn't come in relief in five years. He came in relief for the first time in five years in Cleveland when the Sox blew that game and blew the lead in the division. And then you bring him in relief again in a playoff game. A playoff chase is not the time to be mixing and matching like you're a rebuilding manager. So, no, Ricky's not entirely off the hook. But he's not entirely to blame either. It also doesn't help that the offense definitely looked young and inexperienced in the playoffs. That's because they are. That's just a fact. That's not a knock on the offense. I mean, Luis Robert hit one 487 feet in the elimination game. They can handle it, but you could just tell it was their first time in the playoffs. They'll grow. That'll come. I mean, look at the Cubs in 2015. They weren't supposed to make it to the NLCS. And look what happened in the NLCS. They got swept by the Mets. So that's not a knock on the offense that they looked young and experienced. This was actually a good thing for that offense to get the playoff experience for next year because I think the Sox are going back to the playoffs, and I think they will actually win the division. Even though I know a certain someone had plus 350 for the Sox to win the division before the year, and it was looking pretty damn good before the last week of the season. So now, I have to bring this up again. When I ask what's next, it means I'm ready to move on to other things. So, what's next? What's next is the big question for the White Sox as well. Well, I think we've seen, especially in the last couple weeks, Ricky Renteria is not cut out for a playoff chase. You have to remember, his only prior managerial experience was with a rebuilding Cubs team in 2014. Just think about that. Now, he's in a playoff chase, and he's used to being able to mix and match. Putting Carlos Rodon in relief against Cleveland for the first time in five years after an injury is something you do when you're a rebuilding manager trying to see how things work. So, Ricky's not cut out to win, and I think Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams need to sit him down and be like, Ricky, thank you for getting us to this point. We wouldn't be to this point without you. You've been influential. You've got the guys fired up. Everybody respects you. We're going to go in a different direction. And I don't know what manager could become available. And I, I feel bad because Ricky's going to be watching his guys win a World Series with someone else there again because that's what happened when Joe Madden came in. I think Ricky Renneria is a good bench coach. I don't think he's an effective manager. 
Everyone's saying they think he'll be back next year, at least everyone in the media I'm reading. That was the case in 2014, too. Everyone thought he was going to stick around to the Cubs, and then Joe Madden became available. So I think it's too early to tell if it was me. I'd be showing him the door if someone good became available. I don't have a name right now, just because the playoffs are still going on. But I definitely, that'd be one of my first orders of business once World Series is done and candidates become available. And the White Sox still need their John Lester. I hate bringing up the parallels of the Cubs and the White Sox rebuilds, but they're so similar. And I know White Sox fans hate it when you compare them to the Cubs, but that's just the way the rebuild's going. It's very similar. It's just the blueprint. So I don't mean that as like, oh, the White Sox are going to be the Cubs. No, and given how the Cubs season ended, they don't want to be the Cubs. So I, they need, the, the White Sox need a John Lester. They could have had it with Manny Machado this last offseason. And that's where, so this is where I'm going to explain what I mean when I say they need a John Lester. They need a free agent signing that says, we're here to win. And I don't think Dallas Keuchel has been that guy just yet. Dallas Keuchel's solid. He's a good, great piece for the starting rotation if he can stay healthy. But I don't think he's quite the John Lester. The veteran presence that the, can come in in a big playoff game and get the job done. Whether it be offensively or defensively. And that's where Manny Machado could have been that guy. Big name free agent. Made an, it could have made an instant impact. Obviously, the White Sox were just fine without him. And they used the money that they would have spent on Machado to get guys like Dallas Keuchel and Yasmani Grandal. And yes, Yasmani Grandal had a down year. Trust me, he'll bounce back. But the arrow is definitely pointing up. The White Sox are not in the position the Cubs were in in that people are saying, oh, blow it up, blow it up. You lost in the wild card round. No, and even and Jonathan Hood says this on ESPN 1000 almost daily, at least he did during the season. This year, he says, this year was gravy. This year, they were not supposed to be this good. Yes, I predicted them to win the division. And I said it on the airways at the end of last year, too. But they weren't supposed to be this good. That's just the way the blueprint of the rebuild goes. You need to use this. This year should have been another building year toward next year. Next year, make a playoff run. And obviously, this year was a lot different than expected because it was only 60 games. And there was a pandemic going on. But speaking of the pandemic, the one thing the Cubs did really well this year, the only team in Major League Baseball without a positive COVID-19 test. That's amazing. But between the pandemic and a 60-game season, this season was not normal for the White Sox. And I, I do think if it was a 162-game season, things would have balanced out for the Sox. I still think they'd have made the playoffs. But this year obviously was weird. You cannot use this year as a barometer. Yes, they were really good. But this, this can't be your barometer. Next year, you got to be in win-now mode, which is why Ricky Renteria needs to go. Keep, keep him on his bench coach if he wants, if you want to keep him around. But I really think they need to go in another direction. And I wish I had a name to really flesh out my argument a little bit, but I don't. 
just because I don't know what candidates are out there yet. I have not. I have full disclosure. I have not done a lot of research into this. I'm just using the two best tools I have: my left eye and my right eye. So I haven't looked up candidates yet. But I really think a managerial change will do wonders for this team. And put put your fandom aside. I've seen people on Twitter because Twitter's a fun place. I've seen people on Twitter, oh, Ricky's the worst manager ever. Well, there was talk of manager of the year earlier in the year, which I thought was overblown. But people call Ricky's the worst manager ever. He needs to go immediately, immediately. Like, Well, Rick Hahn needs to go about it, kind of like our terrorist Karnashovis went about it with the Bulls. Take some time, do an evaluation, see what candidates are out there. There's someone you want to go get. Because I do know that I remember it vividly. Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer were not planning on parting with Ricky Renneria at the 2014 season until Joe Madden became available. And they said, hey, that's the guy who can take us to the promised land. And guess what? He did. That's what the White Sox need to do. And I keep making the parallels, but this is such a similar situation. The Sox need their Joe Madden. They need their John Lester. They do that. I think they can contend and win a World Series within the next two years. And you could bookmark that statement and use it against me. 11.46 a.m., October 4th, 2020, the White Sox can win a World Series within the next two years if they get the right manager and a big free agent. The arrow's pointing up, guys. I know a lot of White Sox fans were disappointed with how this season ended. But the arrow's pointing up. Speaking of Daryl Horwood, who I brought up earlier on the show, as the former host still listens, he sent me a Twitter message talking about how Ricky did a terrible job managing. He didn't trust his starter. And he didn't trust his bullpen because he didn't trust his starter to get out of the first. And he sent another message saying Alex Cora to the Sox. I thought about Alex Cora as I was talking about it, but I'm a baseball traditionalist through and through. You steal signs, I don't want you in the game anymore. I don't know if I'd want that baggage. But you steal signs, as a deal breaker for me. Same reason when I hear A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora are in talks, or like, some of the candidates for the Red Sox job? No, don't hire a sign stealer. No, I don't want Alex Cora, and I don't want A.J. Hinch. But he was definitely one of the first names that came up in my head, Alex Cora was, but no. No, I had, I had no respect for cheaters. Plain and simple. I got 12 minutes left here. I do want to talk Bears because that's how big a week it was in baseball that Mitchell Trubisky getting benched was buried to the last 12 minutes of the show. <laughs> I'm watching Bears-Falcons last week and Mitch didn't look good again. And it was one of those things, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, okay, I'm starting to lean toward bring in Foles. But I didn't want to say it publicly because I didn't want to seem like I was overreacting.
but I wanted to say it, but I didn't want. Okay, hang on. Let me let me acknowledge this. Okay, my dad's calling me out here. Okay, my my dad just called me out. Let me let me go back to the sign stealing real quick. Okay, let me amend my statement here, because in high school I used to steal signs, but I used to do it the old-fashioned way. I go back to the best tools I have, my left eye and my right eye. The Red Sox used technology, and so did the Astros. So if you're not smart enough to do it with your eyes, and I'd like to think I'm a pretty smart individual, if you're using technology to cheat, if you're cheating the wrong way, uh-uh. That's what I mean. So thank you, Dad, for calling me out, and, and I love you too, by the way. Thank you for calling out my, my sign-stealing habits in high school when I used to ride the bench and sit on the bench and be watching the third-base coach stealing their signs. I got pretty good at it, too. But I never used video. I never used a smartwatch. I never used an iPad. I never did any of that. Just sat there and watched. So, thank you, Dad. All right, let's go back to the Bears. So I'm watching the Falcons game, and Trubisky doesn't look good again. And I'm borderline tweeting, bring in Foles, because I, I really didn't want to say it publicly. I even said it to my dad. I'm like, okay, I'm almost at that point, bring in Foles. And then all of a sudden, I see Pat Finley tweet during the commercial break that Foles was on the sideline with a helmet on. And I turn, I go, oh, they're, they're doing it. And then Foles comes in, and I tweet, oh, my God, they did it. I really didn't think Trubisky would get benched. I thought the Bears would be so stubborn and just want to admit that they were wrong. They, want to, they don't want to admit they were wrong, that they would keep him in there for stubbornness. But Matt Nagy did what he had to do, brought in Nick Foles. He threw three touchdowns, could have had five touchdowns. And the Bears came back to win the game. Which, speaking of how the Bears came back, how the hell does Dan Quinn still have a job in Atlanta? You heard me last week say he's the most incompetent coach in the NFL. You saw it on display. How in the world is he still employed? Back to Foles. Monday, Matt Nagy announced Nick Foles is starting. He's the starting quarterback for the Bears now. And Ian Rappaport today said that it's believed that Nick Foles will start for the Bears as long as he can. The interesting note about that, Mitch Trubisky is a free agent at the end of the year because the Bears did not pick up his fifth-year option. So the Nick Foles era is here, and I wholeheartedly believe the Mitch Trubisky era is over. Barring a Nick Foles injury. Because Nick Foles doesn't have the greatest injury history. Also in that Falcons game, Tariq Cohen suffered a torn ACL and is out for the year. And that really sucks. Because I, I really I like Tariq Cohen a lot. I think he's a great piece for the offense. And I think Matt Nagy can have some fun with him if he actually used him right. But now, he's out for the year with a torn ACL. So that means 
hopefully David Montgomery is going to be more effective and get more touches. I could even see Cordero Patterson getting more touches. They're not Tariq Cohen because Tariq Cohen's little and he's fast. He, he's, they call him the human joystick. That's a bigger loss than we think. And again, I wouldn't be surprised if David Montgomery and Cordero Patterson stepped up and got bigger roles in the offense. Everyone's saying today's game against the Colts is a test. Yes, the Colts have a solid defense. I'm not a big Phillip Rivers fan. And, I mean, I do think he's going to go into the Hall of Fame one day, but I'm not the biggest fan of his right now, just given where he's at in his career. But the, to say the Colts are a test, yeah, the defense is solid, but they played Jacksonville, Minnesota, and Cleveland. Yes, the Bears have played Detroit, Atlanta, and the New York Giants. So it's a battle of two teams who have played bad teams so far. So I don't think this is necessarily a test. Yes, the scheme's going to change today. You're going to see different schemes from the offense with Tariq Cohen out. And I, I really hope the defense steps it up again. I mean, last week, the defense was looking pretty mediocre until I, I think it was Khalil Mack rallied them on the sideline, and all of a sudden they were a different team. And speaking of the defense, I have an interesting thought. I know it's only week four, but I'm watching Broncos Jets on Thursday because I apparently had nothing else to do but watch Broncos Jets. A real clash of the titans. And I see Vic Fangio on the sideline with his 0-3 Broncos and their really lackluster offense. And I got to thinking, is Vic Fangio on the hot seat in Denver? If so, say he gets fired at the end of the year. If you're Ryan Pace, if you're Matt Nagy, do you go up to Vic and say, hey, sorry about what happened in Denver. Name your price, come back. Because Vic Fangio's defense is why the Bears were in the position they were when Cody Parkey had the double doink against Philadelphia. The reason the Bears were so dominant that year is because the defense was unstoppable. There were comparisons to 85, which the 85 defense is still the best defense of all time. But Vic Fangio had that defense on a whole nother level. I think... If the, Falc- or the Falcons, if the Broncos end up firing him at the end of the year, absolutely tell him, here's a blank check, name your price, come back to Chicago. I just wanted to throw that out there real quick because it was a thought I had this week. And one other thing, this is just kind of random, I feel like, but it's also led to a bunch of conspiracy theories. Why is Tyler Bray activated off the practice squad? Like, I don't understand that decision. Is Mitch now the third string starter? Is he, like, is he active? I mean, he's, I mean, inactives haven't come out for today. But I don't understand why Tyler Bray was activated. And I don't think anyone else does either. Because, I mean, 
everyone was guessing that maybe he was getting interest from other teams and they just moved him to the active roster just to make sure no one took him. But he was protected on the practice squad. No one could take him. So I don't understand why they, they bring him up off the practice squad when he's protected and they've already got two quarterbacks. So that's just something to keep an eye on today at Soldier Field. Again, 325 kickoff, not noon. It was noon until yesterday. Now it's 325, and the game's on CBS. And I think it's going to be a good game. I do think, and it's kind of a bold prediction, I feel like. I think the Bears are going to win 24-20. to They're going to be 4-0. Should they be 3-0 right now? Probably not. But as I tell people, including my guy Ricky at the golf course, who's a big Packer fan and a member who always gives me a hard time, 3-0 is 3-0. Steve Miller Band wrote a whole song about take the money and run. Take the money and run. You're 3-0. I think they could be 4-0 today. I, really, I hope the defense steps up and makes Phillip Rivers' life miserable for this game. And the offense can get clicking with Nick Foles under center. And again, I'm predicting 24 to 20. And I, I got to give myself some credit. I got to give myself a big pat on the back. Because last week, when I predicted the Bears score against the Falcons, I was pretty close. I predicted 30 to 24. The Bears won 30 to 26. So I just want to give myself a pat on the back and acknowledge that your boy had a pretty good week predicting last week. That's why today I think the Bears are going to win 24 to 20. I think they're going to be 4 0 going into a big game against the Buccaneers on Thursday. Which that game, <laughs> that's going to be a test. And I don't really want to dive into a prediction for that one yet, just because I you don't know what's going to happen today. But I think the Bears are going to be 4-0 when the day is over. And when the week's over, they'll be 4-1. I don't think they can beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Tom Brady. But hey, I've been wrong before. I've been wrong plenty of times, actually. But that's what I think is going to happen in the Bears game today. And I've hit everything I need to talk about in my notes. So thank you for indulging me in my Cubs rant and my White Sox rant. And hopefully I'm in a better mood next week. And hopefully I'm not dealing with these allergies still next week. Because that's why you hear me sniffing every now and again. Because I, it's allergy season. It's harvest season down here in the cornfields. Which is always fun. It's my first time being home for harvest season in four years. So i got to just adjust to this. But... Full slate NFL games today. Bears at 3.30. Baseball offseason is here, and I'll be back next week to talk about it all. I'm overtime, actually. So everyone stay safe, stay healthy, wear a mask, and I'm looking forward to being back here next Sunday, hopefully booking a guest, depending on what happens with the Bears game on Thursday. But until then, I'm signing off. Have a great week, everybody.